0: Thank <laughs> you. tune from our uh, friend Nina Jankowitz huh Mr. Manker here She was the short-lived Minister of Truth No, I'm just giving her a platform here got to fight disinformation But uh we still have another Ministry of Truth to talk about today Now which uh which Ministry of Truth shall we talk about There's There's so many. Well, it's the one that spreads disinformation across the board, so to speak, and that can affect any purchase in the country and beyond, given its defining asset is the world's reserve currency. And of course, I'm talking to you about the Federal Reserve System and its power to manipulate interest rates with artificial credit expansion. On Memorial Day, President Joe Biden published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal to present a plan to fight inflation as Americans continue to face uncertainty with everyday life and lose confidence in his leadership, if you could believe that. On the subheading, he shows his hand. He says, I won't meddle with the Fed, but I will tackle high prices while guiding the economy's transition to stable and steady growth. In this piece, Biden presents a three-pronged plan, and in summary, they are as follows. To respect the Federal Reserve's primary responsibility to control inflation. That's one. Number two, to make goods and services more affordable. And finally, number three, to reduce the deficit. On point one already, it's increasingly difficult to lend much credence to the Federal Reserve from their failure to anticipate the housing crisis of 2008 to Janet Yellen's recent admission that she failed to foresee the severity of inflation that we must now endure. While Biden correctly calls out past presidents for using the fed as a political instrument to their own benefit he quickly pats himself on the back he says i have appointed highly qualified people from both parties to lead that institution so no worries plebs this bankster cabal of an institution which is directly responsible for stifling your purchasing power and mine they got well-connected institutionalists from both parties running it. So the Federal Reserve's raison d'etre, as stated, has been to maintain price stability. Yet since 1913, the U.S. dollar has lost over 96% of its value. Price Price stability. stability. This wasn't an accident. It wasn't a matter of the wrong people being appointed for over 100 years to head this organization, Rather, this has always been the method and the intent behind spearheading a debt-driven economy. This means the Fed is there so that the interest will always be paid off on our debts, but however, the principal is largely left alone. And without any intention to police, audit, or otherwise disempower this Federal Reserve System, the other two points amount to nothing other than platitudes, not just a rehash on the other two, to make goods and services more affordable, that's two, and three, to reduce the deficit. The affordability of goods and services largely rests on the value of the dollar. In times when inflation is kept in check, relatively speaking, it is typical of regime actors to express fears of deflation and cite austerity, as their scapegoat. But presently, the conflict in Ukraine has fueled a massive economic disruption. Economic sanctions imposed on Russia have caused a ripple effect upon the West. A double whammy, in essence. A self-inflicted wound. Kamikaze economics at work. While China has been moving towards a digital yuan, Russia has strengthened ties with China, as both nations seek independence from the West, the Realpolitik insights would suggest a friendlier posture towards one of these nations in order to curb the potential dangers of this emerging alliance after frivolously spending trillions of dollars on so-called COVID relief. In working itself out of a lockdown, a reduced deficit isn't a difficult feat to obtain. Donald Trump, last year in office, brought about the nation's first $3 trillion deficit. In fact, it was more like $3.1 trillion and change. Presidents Bush and Obama had previously shared the responsibility for the largest deficits on record. And just last year, Biden himself delivered the second highest deficit in American history, a whopping $2.7 trillion. That's an interesting feat to brag about the second highest deficit in history. You're saying, ooh, look at me. I shrunk the deficit from the worst to the second worst. Now, Congress has also rejected many initiatives from the so-called Build Back Better agenda. But unlike a teenager being turned down for a date, Biden's able to turn this rejection into a talking point. Biden boasts of millions of Americans. Getting jobs with better pay. But by what metric? Wages are up roughly 4%. Inflation, in contrast, is up over 8%. So on balance, the cost of living falls on the earners much harder than it has to. This talking point is ultimately a gimmick, and in proper context, it's better left unsaid. Or sorted out by someone not actually running for office. His author and former Libertarian Party presidential candidate, Harry Brown, was fond of saying, the government's good at one thing. It knows how to break your legs, hand you a crutch, and then say, oh, see, if it weren't for government, you wouldn't be able to walk. In his book, The Real Crash, economist Peter Schiff delivers this sobering observation. He says, It's unpleasant to say it, but for unemployment to come down, wages will need to come down. Supply and demand is really quite simple. We have a surplus of workers. In order to increase demand for labor, the price of labor must fall. That means our government needs to end some policies that keep wages high and resist the temptation to use regulation or the Federal Reserve to prop up wages. America needs to start making things again. It's a pipe dream that we can keep buying everything from China and paying for it with our national credit card. In addition to labor and environmental regulations, the cheap wages of Asia and Mexico make it profitable for American companies to have their work done over there. If American wages were lower, many companies would start manufacturing here, Instead, marginally skilled American workers remain unemployed, some turn to crime, while our trade deficit continues to balloon. And I would argue this will remain the case, so long as corporate welfare is tolerated and general incorporation remains unquestioned. Comedian and YouTube political commentator Jimmy Dore invited Professor Richard Wolff on his show to discuss Biden's op-ed, To be sure, many valid points were made, and I do recommend the episode.
1: But here's a clip of Professor Wolf. And if you want, I can give you two examples, one from a Democratic president, one from a Republican president who did that. And the most amazing thing for me is that Mr. Biden and Janet Yellen are not telling us one word about what their predecessors actually did to prevent an inflation in one case and to end one in the other. During World War II, there was a terrible fear. In those days, uh, we were fighting the war. The president was Franklin Roosevelt. And here was the problem. Lots of resources that used to be going to produce consumer goods were going instead to fight a war. So the president stepped in with something called rationing or rationing. It's been done all over the world. It's a well-known procedure. And people may not know this, but in American history, for a long time, for years, Americans couldn't buy milk, sugar, meat, gasoline, and other things with money. They couldn't bid up the price because whether you got it or not depended on whether you had a government uh, coupon ration card, uh, various words for this. uh, And that was the way that inflation was avoided. The second example, 1971, August 15th. The president that time, Richard Nixon. We're having a terrible inflation, even worse than the one we have now, but not that much worse. And the president comes under a lot of pressure. So he says on that day, goes on radio and television, Mr. Nixon. Tomorrow morning, he says, any business that raises the price, any union that raises the wage, will be in violation of the wage price freeze I am announcing tonight. And if you raise a price or a wage tomorrow, I'm going to arrest you and throw you in the clink. Guess what? The inflation that was such a problem was solved.
0: But Professor Wolf suggested that authoritarian measures taken by FDR and Richard Nixon should be revisited. In FDR's case, price controls, rationing, wage freezes, and war bonds were imposed and enforced by the Office of Price Administration. Waylon Wong of NPR revived the arguments Democrats are now making for taxation and other measures to reduce consumer spending power, to mitigate inflation. So believe it or not, that's actually not a new argument, as absurd as it sounds. But here's what Wolf did not tell you. FDR's destruction of the gold standard, the country experienced a similar lack in consumer confidence at the time, and fears of a bank run, along with the Keynesian orthodoxy, led to a massive gold seizure in tandem with the Emergency Banking Act of 1933. Tom Woods explains the historical context and the constitutional context behind the dollar. He says, The dollar was not an arbitrary term at the time the Constitution was drafted. In the late 18th century, everyone knew what the dollar referred to. The silver Spanish mill dollar which was in widespread use in the United States. The Constitution twice refers to the dollar. In Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1, a clause that everyone understood to involve a tax on the import of slaves. And in the Seventh Amendment, which protected the right to a jury trial in civil cases involving at least $20. If the dollar had been something that Congress could manipulate at will, or if dollar had been merely a generic term to refer to whatever Congress should arbitrarily choose to recognize as currency, the South would never have accepted that clause or the Constitution itself. Okay, so we went through FDR, but for Nixon, it was the imposition of the universal price freeze, which resulted in supply shortages and a decade of stagflation. This imposition followed the Economic Stabilization Act, passed in 1970 as a bluff on Nixon by Democrats in Congress who didn't anticipate that he'd actually attempt to freeze prices. William Walker recounts the disastrous experience of Nixon's policies. He says, It worked for a while. The freeze persuaded organized labor to temper wage demands and broke what had been an inflationary spiral of price and wage hikes that sapped consumer buying power. But phase two of Nixon's program imposed increasingly complex rules that became both unpopular and a political burden. After the initial burst of popularity, which lasted long enough to boost Nixon's landslide reelection in 1972, the program failed spectacularly and ushered in nearly a decade of so-called stagflation, High inflation, coupled with slow growth, which reduced living standards for millions of Americans. This bitter legacy, shortages of gasoline, red meat, soybeans, and many other products, together with ruinous price increases, discredited price controls in the eyes of the American people. Congress allowed the Economic Stabilization Act to expire, and with it, the President's authority to impose controls But the damage inflicted by the program continued until Paul Volcker was appointed to run the Federal Reserve in 1979 and began. The interest rate increases that would finally break inflation at the cost of a steep recession. The economy didn't recover until 1983, halfway into Ronald Reagan's first term. So that's William Walker, and I have that linked on the show notes article. So, to continue, it isn't merely coincidental that corporate entities have grown alongside credit expansion, both in scope and power. In a recent article in the Wall Street Journal, Matt Grossman hits at the symbiotic structure at work here. His article is How a Strong Dollar Hits Microsoft, Other Big US Companies. So, Grossman says, as a global provider, of everything from office software to cloud computing services to laptops and video game consoles, Microsoft gets most of its profits from abroad. In the latest fiscal year, the company's pre-tax foreign income was $36.1 billion compared to $35 billion domestically. That outsized share of international business means that a strengthening dollar weighs on the company's operations. In April, the rising dollar was already rearing its head as a concern. Microsoft chief financial advisor Amy Hood told analysts that in the latest fiscal quarter, foreign exchange effects reduced the company's sales by $302 million. Total revenue in the quarter was 49.4 billion. dollars On Wednesday, Microsoft sent up another red flag about the impact of dollar strength, cutting its outlook for revenue and profit. The company told investors it now expects foreign exchange moves to reduce sales by $460 million, more than it had previously anticipated in the current quarter. Profit will suffer too, Microsoft warned. Profit will suffer, too. Profit will suffer, too. So this not only ties into Peter Schiff's point about the need for domestic production, but should also give us pause upon what gives multinational corporations their strength. Leaving aside the general costs of doing business, a stronger dollar is not in their best interest, and their lobbying efforts often reflect that. Why? Of course. Otherwise, profits will suffer. James Anthony recently wrote a piece for the Mises Institute, addressing the cronyist nature of the Federal Reserve. So Anthony says, criminals seriously harm people here and there, but to systematically harm people everywhere takes governments. He continues, when it seems like the Fed does everything it can to shake down the national governments to protect banks, that's because the Fed does do everything it can to shake down the national government to protect banks. Because the Fed is a cartel of the banks. This means that the present financial system is crony socialist central planning of money production that has been substituted for what by law are supposed to be free and voluntary actions to produce and consume all products, including money. So what do we have in the meantime? We have Trust the Plan by Joe Biden. Same old business as usual. Now, to be fair, if you thought as far out of the box as Richard Wolf, you might have to be a historical and economic ignoramus. Well, that's going to do it for today. If you like what you heard, you can share, like, and subscribe. Also, check me out on Twitter. And if you're on MeWe, I have a group you can join. See you later.